God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Phil. Well, this morning we're going to we're going to look at what does a good substitute mean? What is it for you? See, the World Health Organization has a habit of rating diseases according to its deadliness. There are a number of plagues and, of course, and pandemics that springs to mind when we, when we talk about these things having been in the world over so many years. But if we only go back even back to the 1350s, there was a black death. It took around 100 million people out of Europe and beyond. And then we had a flu pandemic coming in 1918. Uh, that topped out around 30 million people in Europe also. Later on in that same century, the world was introduced to AIDS and that is estimated to have taken 36 million lives so far. And now, now we have the COVID-19 pandemic going around the world, so far only taken around, around 1 million lives, but sadly counting. And there are other life-threatening things that comes to us through life, such as abortions around the world. And so far this year, according to when we read uh, the World Health Organization, when they give you their statistics, and we are in August 2020, and this year around 26 million unborn babies have been killed. See, each and, e- each and every one of these, and let's call them diseases for what they are, they are truly awful, but we haven't even touched on the worst of them all. See, back in the 1600s, Ralph Venning, a Puritan, a theologian, called this the plague of plagues. It has affected every human being that was ever born. Unlike other plagues, which only causes a physical death, This plague causes a spiritual and indeed an eternal death. Yes, it is. It is what we know as sin. But let us pray. Let us indeed grasp the seriousness of this plague and a cure. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we do come before you to thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are fully aware of the diseases that inflicted on this world. But most of all, we know how you are so aware of that one plague that started with Adam and Eve and what the cure had to be. Lord, we thank you for all that you do, for all that you will be doing and for the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 21 of today's text speaks to the cure. 
It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, let's break this down together in starting with Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Last week we spoke of the result of the cure, that of true reconciliation that we have with the Creator God. The removal of our sin and guilt and even becoming righteous in the eyes of God. And today we read about how he brought all that about. The first two words are very meaningful. He says, he made... And it's no secret that the he that Paul speaks of here is God. See, verse 20, the previous verse, made this absolutely crystal clear for us. When Paul wrote, be reconciled to God, and when we consider Paul writes, he made, it's about what God put in place, not what man wanted and to do. And Paul writes about this problem even also in Romans. He writes, brothers, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness, but they did not submit to God's righteousness. Let's not forget the Jews were and are the select people of God and they have been the and they were the recipients of the law the 10 commandments and they also had a direct connection family connection direct to father Abraham they were sure that they had a guaranteed passage to heaven but they did not submit to God's righteousness Sadly, this is not something that we can cast aside as this very thing happens too often in the world of churches even today. God's standards are just too lofty. So people will rewrite their understanding and the understanding we should have to make these standards easier to kind of live with and make us feel better about ourselves. And yet, we also know in our heart that such rewriting of the biblical truth and understanding leads to eternal death and not to life. Even as you sit here today, I'm sure you would even recognize the futility of that sort of understanding or behavior. True reconciliation simply flows out of the love of God for us. It was because he loved the world that he made salvation possible for you and I through the death of his son on a cross. Christianity is about proclaiming that glorious truth that God is neither hostile nor indifferent, but he is indeed a loving, loving saviour by the nature of himself. God does not need to be appeased, and surely we also recognise, nor can any man ever appease God. Instead, he himself has provided his own appeasement 
for justice and the means for sinners to become his beloved children through the sacrifice of his begotten son. And see, that death on the cross fully takes in all sin and guilt with it and cleanses us. Because Christ's sacrifice perfectly satisfies the demands of God's righteousness, God freely offers forgiveness and reconciliation, as we read in Isaiah 55, but also repeated back when we come into Revelation, at the end of Revelation in 22.17, it says, The Spirit and the Bride says, Come, let him who hears say, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. See, he made, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And the only man who ever lived, Jesus never committed any sin whatsoever. And this designation, therefore, can also, therefore, only ever be God's only Son, Jesus Christ. That is him, he knew no sin. We all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, Paul writes in Romans 3. So, well, since the wrath of God requires a sinless sacrifice, there is no other option for you and I but to accept Jesus Christ as our Saviour. The sinlessness of Jesus is documented throughout the Bible and may be the most powerful evidence from this will indeed come from the Father himself. In Matthew 3.17, God said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And again, in 17.5, in Matthew, at the transfiguration, God spoke, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Jesus also confirms his close relationship, the oneness that he had with the Father in John 10.30 when he simply states, I and the Father are one. This is why he, God, made him, Jesus, sin for us. God, with this act of love for you, laid all your sins on his Son so that the Son had no sin of his own. Paul writes in Galatians 3.10 and then 13, All who rely on observing the law are under curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And in 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, cross. Such verse, of course, explains clearly the necessity of believers' sins being imputed to Christ. In the same manner as a temple priest had sacrificed a lamb, so Jesus was a lamb that took away our sins, which is what John the Baptist tells us in the very first chapter of his gospel. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And considering the last two words we read about Jesus in that sentence that says, Him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. It's for us that all this happened. You and I are the beneficiaries of all of what happened, all the plans that God put in place. It was our sins he had to bear. It was for our sins that he had to die. Yes, God will one day get to pleasure or welcome you into heaven and he and the heaven will rejoice when you arrive. But still I'll contend, you are the beneficiary, not him. And we also then receive the true benefit from all this. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. I'm sure you love the verse in David's psalm in 32.1. He says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sins is covered. That is for us. It's covered, it's taken. And David further wrote in Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul wait for the Lord, and in his word I put my hope. His word is Jesus. As believers we experience the blessedness of forgiveness solely by faith in the complete redemption provided by Christ Jesus. And that truth for you and I, that's a biblical truth, one we can believe, one we can trust. Paul writes in Romans 3.22, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference, for all have sinned, And all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. As you have no doubt become aware now, I'm quoting a lot of different passages from different parts of the Bible as we cover this single one verse here in 2 Corinthians. But it is to me so important and ought to be to you that we grasp the true beauty of the connectedness of the entire Bible which gives us our assurance but also reminds us that all of the promises that we have received has been the same since the very beginning till today. See, when repentant sinners acknowledge their sins, affirm Jesus as Lord, and trust solely in his completed work on their behalf, God then credits his righteousness to their account. He accredits his righteousness to your account. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived our lives with all our sins, so that God could then treat us as if we live the life of Christ in pure holiness. Think of that. Our sinful life was charged to him so that his righteousness in his life could be credited to you. That is just beyond comprehension. That is the doctrine of justification by imputation being the high point of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
See, when we consider that just this one verse in the entire Bible, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And then consider the truth expressed so concisely, so powerfully, as we sit still at his feet, pondering this truth in our hearts, the truth that he, Jesus, is the only cure for the worst plague of plagues that have befallen the world. If that doesn't change how we live, if that understanding sinks into our hearts, why would we not worship him with all of our life? Let us pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we come to you to thank you for Jesus, for your Son. We thank you for his obedient life, his sinless life, that was was able to pay for the price that we had to pay, that he took that on himself, that he died, that we might be with you. It is a plan that we accept, we love it, and we thank you for it all. We thank you for all that happened that day on the cross, and we thank you in his name, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour. Amen.